Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. She, uh, today is a day of love. We are going to talk more about that. Um, for some of you, you who are paying attention, uh, you probably heard me as a guest this morning at 10 Pacific Time, uh, guest on my friends, Manson Mitchell, the Manson Mitchell, Manson Mitchell Show. Uh, Gary and Suzanne had me on as a guest this morning. We were talking about COVID-19. We went into a whole lot of uh, the political aspects of it, the economic aspects. We talked about uh, different things, including the attack on Asians, which apparently was breaking news for Suzanne and Gary. Um, but they are very on top of so many things. And we realized when we talked about this the other day that this was way too big of a thing for one hour that we needed to do two hours. Hey, Gary, Suzanne, how are you guys doing? We're still here and we're doing great. <laughs> Good. And Eric, my man, how about you? Good afternoon and happy spring. I'm doing okay. We spent the morning with Benny and now we're going to spend the after, early afternoon with Eric. Fantastic. Woo-hoo! We have such amazing people at KKNW. There's just no getting around that. I have to put that little plug in for the station because uh, Eric Crema sent Gary uh, uh, an amazing article that was really useful. And uh, which we, we are a little microcosm of the macrocosm that has to happen of working together and cooperating with one another. Sure. We're all in this together, as I like to say. And you do quite often. so gary suzanne yes i've got some good news i i was holding off some of this good news for you susan so uh hopefully we got most of our venting or griping out of the way i i lay down for an hour to get over myself and now i'm prepared (laughs) to be more optimistic that's cool. I wanted to bring up one little thing. It's not a gripe, but it's something to pay attention to in terms of symptoms of the COVID-19. You know, most people we hear about, you know, uh, respiratory symptoms, coughing and all this. But this uh, article came out in the American Journal of uh, Gastroenterology uh, from a study in uh, China. And this, uh, this was just published on the 18th of March, just a few days ago. And it says, if doctors only monitor for, uh, for respiratory symptoms to diagnose COVID-19, they may miss cases that initially present with other symptoms, or the disease may not be diagnosed until after respiratory, respiratory symptoms emerge. So they're talking about digestive tract issues. So if you're having diarrhea and you're having all that, you want to make sure that the doctors know this, because this they're finding that... If they don't take a look at um, uh, these symptoms, and this isn't a gripe, this is something to pay attention to, there's a worse clinical outcome and higher risk uh, compared to those without digestive symptoms. So this is really important to make sure that your doctor is looking at those symptoms as well. Um, So I wanted to bring that up uh, because we don't, you know, we don't know what 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 is it we're looking for, so we can see if we need to be tested with right. this disease. And oh. I to, the, to that end, good- to to that end, Susan, I was hearing uh, one of the questions that was asked by one of these top experts 
what is the sequence of symptoms? What do you what come what happens first, second, and third? The digestive and I, symptoms are first, yeah. I really paid attention to what they were saying about that because the fever apparently is two or three days after the other stuff. It, he said if you have a normal flu, everything happens at once. It's like a, it's a big uh, landslide. Right. But he said with this thing, you get one thing and then another thing and then another thing. And and the cough comes before the fever, but the fever is like two or three days into it. Right. And this one said um, patients with digestive symptoms had a variety. I think there was 200 and some odd people in the study uh, had a variety of problems, including loss of appetite. That was nearly 84 percent. 29 percent had di uh, diarrhea and vomiting in point eight and abdominal point in point four. So those things weren't as pre prevalent as the first loss of appetite and then second uh, diarrhea. Uh, so this is something that uh, they didn't think was was part of it, and if you if you're treated longer than that, that's that's a part of the issue. There were 204 uh, patients in this study, uh, average age nearly 55. They were admitted to three hospitals in the Hubei province between January 18th and February 28th. So the average time for symptoms onset to hospital admission was 8.1 days. So I think that this is valuable information. So if you've got loss of appetite and diarrhea, you should see your doctor. Oh, yes, especially in a place like Seattle where they do it about as well as it can be done. Kudos exactly. on so many levels. Go and see the doctor and hopefully you'll qualify for a test because those tests, no matter how often we're promised they're in the pipeline, are still <laughs> hard to get. Yep. Yeah, and that's, is trying. that's a real problem. That's a real problem. I also and wanted to say, Susan, I don't know if you're aware of this. Eric's closer to it than we are. But I am so heartened by the news, which was featured on the Rachel Maddow show last night. Thank you very much to Rachel. In Shoreline, they have essentially commandeered. It reminds me of eminent domain. They've taken <laughs> over a soccer field yes. and are building yes. an urgent care hospital. Yes, that's how you do that. it. That's it. That's the way you do it. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about uh, uh, on the Manson Mitchell show this morning. I'm sure you didn't hear that, Eric, because you're probably driving at the time. Uh, <laughs> was uh, the fact that Chinese in what, under two weeks, was it, Gary? I'm trying to remember. A little over a week. They built uh, two hospitals in less than two weeks, you know, to handle the number of people that needed care. Right. And, uh, and I was saying this morning, well, we've got all these veterans who want to do things like they were at Standing Rock. They want to help. They want to they want to do things. And uh, they would pour in to help get these hospitals built in a couple of weeks in several places around the country. My dad was in the Navy in World War Two. He was on a tanker, but he would talk admiringly long after the war about the efforts of the Seabees. Exactly. Those guys know how to get a job done. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got the Army Corps of Engineers and nobody better than them on building stuff. So those are all things that we can be talking to those who claim to represent us. 
Let's make, let's put them to the test. Say, look, these are things that we want to have done in our country. We want to have tests done. We want to have uh, enough tests for everybody that needs one. We want to have uh, a vaccination for everyone who needs one around the whole world. Uh, we want everybody to understand that, you know, it's really important to get that this is a time for us to be loving with each other, that the things that that we all need you know, are important. And I think I mentioned this earlier because Gary emphasized several times something this morning I thought was extremely important. November the 3rd, we have a national election. Uh, we will select a president. Uh, how many Senate seats are up? A third of them? Is that what you were saying? One third of the U.S. Senate and the entire right. House of Representatives. Yeah. Is up for election, and this is who is representing you, who cares about you, and not their donors. Now, of course, it's an uphill climb with voter suppression and gerrymandering, and you know all of these kind of things. But we can still do it. We can we can still turn out, and that's the thing. You can't just complain and then not vote. You have got to participate. This is ultimately, this election, I believe, I don't know if you agree with this, Gary, or not, Suzanne, pipe in anytime you want, but I believe that this election, the 2020 election, is ultimately important for us as a people. Oh, yes, it's going to define who we are generationally, and it's exactly. intergenerational, too, because, you know, as I mentioned uh, during our show, there are actually some miscreants at the level of the street saying nasty things like, well, this virus is the boomer remover. Well, excuse but, us. <laughs> but wait a second. And I think I mentioned after that, the 25 to 40 year olds are really getting impacted by this virus. Yes, they are. It was not thought that would be the case, but it's turning out to be. Hello. That's what you get for sounding off. <laughs> God's punishing you. And in the meantime, yes. you've got quite a few grocery stores and places around that are have those special senior hours. I took advantage oh, of that. 5 a.m. to go to the grocery store. Well, oh Susan, I got to tell you, I have a funny story here. They announced that a, a, a newer grocery store was going to be open from 7 a.m. to seniors only. And uh, and so I got up early. I got up in the dark, got myself over there, and the parking lot was full. Oh full. my goodness! And the oh store was full. So if you ever if you ever wanted a, a picture in your mind of a store full of seniors, <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> I got it. You got it. That's absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I think, and I know you guys agree, being positive is an extremely important thing. And, and every morning we get up, and I've been saying this for years, and you have the opportunity to either act that day in faith or in fear. It's your choice. You're coming from a place of love or you're coming from a place of fear. You can't do both. So coming from a place of fear creates panic it creates uh anger it creates all of the, these are just manifestations of fear greed is a manifestation of fear it is time for us to not do that and to, to come from a place of love i i know you guys agree with that oh yes because i know wealthy people and even well more heard of than know 
uber wealthy people. And it is said that even they, at their uppermost stratum of society, worry that someday there might not be enough. <laughs> well, that's fear. And and the thing of, that's interesting about that is, you know, and say, well, you know, you still have emotional issues. Yeah, but let me tell you something. And I think you both could agree on this. Um, it's a lot easier to deal with uh, divorce or an uh, emotional upset uh, when they're not turning your lights off, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then, uh, you know, sitting in the Bahamas and dealing with being upset is uh, a lot easier than in, in an apartment with no lights and no food. <laughs> well, especially so. when I think in terms of all the job boom that was going on, I mean, record Un record low unemployment and all that is being turned on its ear. Now, it's really amazing to me because we were hearing about boom times, which is true, and the job market phenomenal. And all of a sudden now people are lucky if they work for a company that's going to sustain its payroll, no doubt with federal assistance, perhaps state as well, in order to keep people on the payroll, even though there's no work to be done because they're shuttered. Well, that's true, but also those unemployment statistics aren't really accurate because it doesn't, uh, they don't count people who've quit looking and they don't count, and, and it doesn't account for the people that are working two or three jobs. So one person working two or three jobs to maintain is not a, a, a really solid economy. In the sense of it being robust for the so-called working class, everybody exactly. who's in the economy is working one way or the other if you're it's participating. It's not robust. Right, yeah. but not robust for all of us. Top one or two percent, yeah. they're doing great. They're doing great. So bear in mind, those those stats are, are have, you know, have a false uh, comparison. And they really are not authentic when it comes because, you know, when you're sitting down here on my level and you're going, I don't see any boom in the economy. <laughs> I don't know where that's happening, you know. Uh, I'm managing and, I, you know, but you know what I'm talking about. It's not quite the same. And so, I, you know, if you've got people employed at $10 an hour that need $20 an hour, you know, it's, it's not really a robust economy. Um, are you guys familiar with the Economic Bill of Rights? Uh, this was uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, did this on January 11th, 1944. I just want to bring you guys up to date. This was done in 1944, folks, and the State of the Union. And what he said, I'm not going to do the whole thing. It's a beautiful speech. But he talked about, um, this is like in terms of, uh, 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 like I said, they call it the Economic Bill of Rights, and he and they said it was the Second Bill of Rights. The right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation, meaning a job that you get paid for well. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. The right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will, give, which will give him and his family a decent living. The right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad, which has gone out the window. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care 
and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health, the right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment, and the right to a good education. You know what? When people say that all these things that we're asking for, uh, education, uh, decent wage, all of this is radical, it's not radical. This was, this was, you know, 1944, so we're looking at 2004 was 60 years, and we're now at 2020. So we're talking 76 years ago, you know? A long time ago, and yet because I think the reason why it remains relevant, it was very good that you brought this up, Susan, is because these rights, these virtues have a timeless quality to them. If you're going to build a society capable of world leadership, how could you not do these things if you expect to succeed? So now we have a good answer on why we went from number one to number seven in the first uh, year of the Trump administration. You know, the, the big question, in the it's 2016, it's in the books. It was what it was. It's now 2020, and it's time once again to decide who are we as a people, exactly. whom do we want leading us from the White House down through Congress, both houses, what are we going to do? And even the state house, I think Absolutely. the world of Governor Inslee. Super important, super important. Washington's going to elect a, either they're going to reelect the governor they have or elect a new one. I think a great deal of Governor Inslee. Is he perfect? No, can't name a governor that is. But I feel that he has done a very responsible job. And from the standpoint of living in Florida, where I'm pleasantly surprised sometimes by Governor DeSantis, I didn't vote for him, and I probably won't vote for him if he runs for re-election, don't agree with his politics, but he has done some things well, and he has responded to the crisis in Florida with a measured tone and with a methodical approach that I do applaud. And I certainly think Governor Inslee has done that, if not more, well, in he's trying done to more. bring intelligent, humane response. That is okay. what is needed in a governor. I totally agree with you. Because um, I, I, I'm not a, a fan of some of Inslee's things, but I think that he's better than the op other option. And we need more than just two options, uh, in my opinion, in the, in the world in which we live. But that's a whole other story, which we're not going to go into today. Um, I did want to definitely touch on um, my friend uh, Jeff um, Jeff St. Rose, Jeffrey St. Rose, and his uh, and Billy. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but folks, if you're on Facebook, go look him up and and read what he wrote. I think he put this out on maybe March the 16th, maybe a little bit before that. I'm not sure, but it's we're talking about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, and we're talking about Uranus. Now, the thing to know, Pluto, the planet Pluto, is all about transformation, okay? It's about exposing abuses of power, oh, hark, exposing abuses of power, reforming the current structures as represented and maintained by the status quo of Saturn. So this is like really important. And, and uh, he, she, he refers to Monica Wilson, who's, who used to say, Pluto always wins. So eventually, these old Saturnian structures will give way to new constructs and sy systems that will then govern our daily lives in higher ways. Now, for years, astrologers have been saying that 2020 was a uh, 
a, a major year, that things would majorly change in 2020. I don't think any of us envisioned this. <laughs> you know, in the no, first three months not the of change the we were hoping for. And you know, no, it was, but, but wait, maybe, no, sometimes you have to break things up to make change, right? They, right. It doesn't always happen, happen in a, in fact, it rarely, you know, what's the old Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times. This is actually the transformation we've been waiting for. Dynamic change is never easy, is what Jeff writes here but is necessary for a true and lasting shift. Some are calling this time a reset of economic inequality. That definitely has to happen, which is one of the predominant themes of the planet Uranus. Now, Uranus is in Taurus. It went into Taurus last year, and it'll be there for six more years. So this is giving it this opportunity to change the economic systems, and they're going to continue to radically change. Uranus is all about revolution, bringing higher consciousness and technology to all humanity. That's what we're talking about here. Not just one country over another country, not com competition, but working together and coming in a loving way. So I just I had to laugh when I read this. This is what Jeff wrote. I have felt for years that 2020 would be huge, but I never imagined it would be anything like this. I've been saying the same thing. Okay, so this is. This is this is interesting, okay? But that's part of you know you got to break a few eggs to make a cake. You know what I'm saying? Got to mix up that batter before the you know, got to mix it all up, stir it up. That is what's happening. And the main thing to remember is to come from love. See yourself in love and light. And he says something about a lot of deaths that I find very very important and very interesting. It said that that one of the things I think uh, it was this probably comes from, hold on, let me look down here, about the coronavirus, and it seemed pertinent to share. Uh, Billy got um, a information from a spiritual guide. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it uh, properly, but the name is Kazan, I think. I may have screwed that up, but C-E-Z-A-N-N-E. The virus is a purge of a type more than a light upgrade. It will mostly remove people from the planet who will need to be on the other side when the transition into the fourth dimension happens. So if you look at it from that perspective, do you understand what I'm saying? These souls are going to help make this transition from one phase to another. And I think that uh, I, I think that's a very positive way of seeing things. What do you think? Some time ago, and I want to say a year or two ago, uh, Gary and I heard much the same information from Alicia Michelle, an astrologer that we've had on many times. And Alicia was talking about the breakdown of systems. Yes. And she was saying, astrologically, we need to break down. The systems that we have had in place are going to be broken down and replaced with something completely different that does Correct. not look like we have what we have today. And like you, Susan, I could not have imagined that this would be the way in which yeah. that was going to come right. about. You know that that if you're going to do away with a, a certain way of doing things, that um, you, you, um, you wish or hope that it's going to be uh, something that you can easy. manage and control and be easy. Yeah, exactly. but revolution isn't easy, and no. it it is breaking eggs. It it is making a mess, 
And, and so uh, what I did not, you know, wouldn't have chosen was the mess would look like this. And this has been compared to a world war. And in a way, yes, because it involves all these countries and we are all at war with an enemy, with a single common enemy. And, and so if this is how it all comes about, you know, hang on to your seats and let's see how this all plays out. But I would certainly like to see something with regard to the economic inequality, because this has been bugging me now for decades, decades. Okay, so now maybe we come at it from a different perspective. We're not at war. We're in peace with. We don't have an enemy. We have an ally. And I'm going to just give you a very micro view of that. A few months ago, back when the weather was warm and scorpions were out, I reached into my laundry basket and it felt like a knife slicing through the pad of my thumb. I never saw the scorpion, but I knew that's what it was. And I had pain and numbness went through my thumb and probably, oh, six, eight inches above my wrist into my arm. And I just kept rubbing that thumb. People going, oh, my God, you, you know, you're going to be like that for a week or two weeks. Different people, so many anywhere from a week to two weeks. above. And I just kept going, rubbing my thumb and going, there must be something in the scorpion venom, in the scorpion venom, venom, in the God, once I learn to talk, I'll be fine. What in the scorpion venom that is beneficial for me? And I was thanking the scorpion for the venom. The following day, I had a little bit of numbness in my the pad of my thumb, and the following day after that, it was all gone. So instead of seeing, I've been attacked by a scorpion. Oh my God! I re- I I welcomed it and said it's beneficial for me. Do you understand what I'm, why I'm saying that? I do understand it. I think that's a great strategy, a coping strategy, Susan. That was Correct. very sm- very aware of you to do that, very smart. My mother, who does not know about these properties, I mean, she's passed on uh, over 10 years ago now, but uh, when she went to Kingman, Arizona to visit family, friends, she told me afterward that uh, she went there and the light was on and it attracted this Scorpion, and I think we're talking in both cases about the bark scorpion, which is uh, plentiful in Arizona, and you do want to watch out for them. They are dangerous. And so there was my mother not knowing any of this, and there was one on the front door of our family friend there in Kingman, and with the porch light on, and it was just starting to make its way indoors, and my mom reflexively smashed it with her bare hand. Oh, don't want that in. Smash it. I go, Mom, you could have been in the hospital in ICU. Debbie said, well, no, it was going to get in, so I had to kill it. So that's another way to approach it. But in in both cases, yeah. you decided not to let fear drive your bus. Exactly. And, and, and do you know that they live to be like 17, 18 years old? Wow, I did not know the, that. They're really very interesting, a very interesting life form, which we're not going to go into now. But my point is... This virus is here to help us not hurt us. And I don't say this, I don't say this dismissively of people dying. I and you know me better than that. But I don't see it as an enemy and I think that that's part of the shift we have to make. And I didn't even think about this till you were saying that Suzanne, and all of a sudden it goes boom. 
Suzanne's bringing up the most important point. We have to shift our consciousness consciously, you know, and move from this idea of fighting poverty, you know, fighting drugs, the war on drugs, the war on, you know, and change it. Change how we're looking at things instead of a polarized view of coming at it from wholeness. What do you think? I like the idea of wholeness in the sense that, and how long has it been since we used the word gestalt? That's um, That takes us all back. But this yeah. idea of, of taking a holistic view allows us to, yes, pay attention to the particulars because you have to, but also to see the big picture, to have enough detachment that you can look for the desired result and then work your way through it methodically. There, I'm sure there's another good way to do it. That's the one that I particularly favor because I get good results when I think that way. But it does involve the willingness to see the big picture. Right. What about you, Suzanne? Well, Suzanne's, I can tell you one thing about Suzanne Mitchell, and she reminds me of this often. She has an engineer's mind. She knows yes, how she to does. take something from where you are back to the source, back to original causes, and then figure out the solution first going backward and then forward. I, I think at the end. I started yeah. at the end with everything and then worked my way backwards. You're a bridge builder. Ah. You're a bridge builder, and, and that's so needed right now, is building the bridges, filling in the gaps. And, yeah, that's what you do. You're, you're good. And we need – and, see, this is, to me, the important thing. Just the three of us talking, you see, we come at it from different angles. But bringing all those three – just those three people with those different angles coming at it together creates a much better picture, Right. Well, yeah, I'm convinced. I mean, I don't know a better way. If I had some some magical powers to make all of this go away, by God, I'd be using them now, if never before. But the fact is, we're facing something that is not just a novel virus, the novel coronavirus, but a novel experience in the lifetime of just of about of everybody on yeah. the planet. Right. Well, there aren't many. There aren't many people around at this point, that lived through the 1918 Correct. pandemic flu. Right. right. So this is something that is a whole new experience. I mean, we we discussed earlier on some of the responses, like you don't need to buy, stock up on toilet paper and you don't need to go out and buy bottled water. The whole idea that, you know, the water that comes through your pipes in whatever city you're in is pretty good water. Do you know what I mean? And they're not going to turn your water off. Are you they're, hearing this, Flint, Michigan? Yeah, well, <laughs> I some get exceptions. Yeah. There, but there are some exceptions. But uh, would you drink the water in Seattle? In Seattle and in Sarasota, where Suzanne and I reside, it's fine. But you know, there's something to be said for a Brita filter of, of simple That's filtration. There, I don't think that would solve the problems in Flint. God bless them. I hope they finally get over and that. And how many years has that uh, not been dealt with? See, those are the kind of things that, uh, well, anyway, that's a whole other story. We're going to try to say this, but you know what? We need to take a momentary break here because just like on the Manson Mitchell show this morning, we've run over, run over from our halftime. So you stay tuned to Susan Harmon Experience where the brilliant Gary Mance and the audacious Suzanne Mitchell from Manson Mitchell 
We'll continue to join Susan talking about what we can do that's positive in terms of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and, you know, do the best we can to make, make this as easy as possible on all of us. Stay tuned. Are you ready to become comfortable in your own skin? The Vast Institute's encouraging curriculum is designed to infuse your world with optimism and creative life solutions. Our four pillars of learning provide a holographic toolkit taking you to the next level. If you're ready to experience a quality of life currently beyond your imagination, call us at 206-935-7872 or visit our website at vastinstitute.com to discover how to enrich your life at work or play. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomes Shepard Siegel, author of Disruptive Play on how the trickster works in politics and culture. On Saturday, Susan Messina returns with insights into the secrets of the universe, universal laws, energies, frequencies, and vibrations. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Susan Harmon is offering her skills as an intuitive counselor, medium, and energy healer via phone or Skype with her audience at a reduced rate of $40 for the first half hour. Susan listens to your guidance and gives what is needed for you in the present moment. Email susan at susanharmon.com and put I love the Susan Harmon hour in the subject line. This is a limited time offer, so set up your appointment by emailing susan at susanharmon.com today. No other station delivers this much variety. Alternative Talk 1150. So please welcome back my guest, Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell of the Manson Mitchell Show. It's on KKNW at 10 a.m. If you didn't already know, which you should because they are amazing. And I was a guest on their show this morning, and now they're a guest on my show this afternoon. We just thought that one hour wasn't enough to cover COVID-19, and so we've turned it into two. And we've, we've, we've moved around and we've talked a, a bit about the political uh, issues of you got to make a change, folks. you got to take a look and see who is really representing you. Do not, whatever you do, do not sit this out. <laughs> just don't sit it out and don't just be fooled by things that are not to your benefit. Take a look and see what works best for you. Do you want do you want a better a better world in which to live where all the money doesn't go just to one or two percent of the population? Do you really think it's right that 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 two percent of the population owns over half the wealth? I mean, these are things that don't make a country strong; they make it weak. And we need to be thinking in worldwide uh, efforts. We don't want to see. Uh, something like uh, the United States owning the only vaccine and not uh, sharing it with everybody on the planet. We, we, I don't know if that's true or not, but we definitely don't want that kind of a world, do we? Where the, a, a small number of people have it over everybody else. Let's all love one another. Okay. So what do you think? Gary, Suzanne, speak up. When it comes to loving one another, I, it's hard to argue with the philosophy, and I don't, but I do wonder quite often how we turn that into policies that can implement the greatest public good, to take a utilitarian perspective. Okay. Uh, love is a terrific virtue in all of its guises. 
What I don't know is how we get that translated into public policy, particularly when all of us are, I'll whip out a little phrase of Latin, we all are in extremis. Yes. This is uncharted territory and we're all stressed. There is the element of fear to be dealt with. It's a pandemic. That's everybody that is affected either in reality on the ground now or potentially. So in, in loving others, the best thing I can think to do, Susan, is to be as responsible as I know how to be mm -hmm. so that the people in my environment don't have to worry on my account. That's a genuine public service. I'm not it being is. facetious. No, no, you're not. And it's, and it's a very powerful thing to do. If each of us, I mean, and sometimes that's just smiling at somebody in a grocery store. Well, and yes, other times and it's much bigger, do you know? Be be aware of your of your surroundings of what you're doing and how you're interacting, and 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 that's why I brought up the economic bill of rights or the second bill of rights from 1944 in Roosevelt. How that's still something that we need to do, because people should have a home and health and education. That should be a human right, not a privilege, but a right. And I. Uh, I applaud Franklin Delano Roosevelt for wanting to instigate. He didn't want to do it like a Bill of Rights. He wanted the um, the Congress to make the laws to have this happen. And instead, we have moved from that to uh, monopolies, corporations controlling the economy. We do not, you know, we didn't talk all day about, you know, capitalism and the free market. We don't have a free market. So, which is, again, another story. But... There's always an upside to everything. We can look at the COVID-19 as something to fear, or we can say, okay, this gives us an opportunity to work differently with each other than the way we have been working. What do you think? Um, you know, it, it's always in the, in the worst of times that somehow it brings out the best in people. Like after 9-11, there were a lot of stories about people doing things for one another. And it's a shame that, that that has to be the avenue through which we are kinder to other folks. I've been following quite a few stories, um, both on the Internet and, and um, on television, about the kindnesses done to people. There was a, a little family here in Sarasota that so, somehow lost their home. I don't know how, but they had nothing. They had two boys and no home, no furniture, no clothes, no nothing. And so the call went out and said, here's these two boys, seven and nine, and their family, and they need everything, everything. And two or three days later, another message came out saying, they seem to have everything they could possibly need except for some detergent for their laundry, you know, LOL, because so many people stepped up with furniture and with food and with clothes for young boys and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that's what it takes for us to be nicer to one another, but with this prolonged experience not momentary, but going on for weeks and months, mm -hmm. this might give us mm -hmm. more of an opportunity to practice being kinder, gentler people. 
Exactly. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that, that the fact that it's not going to be an instant change uh, it does, you know, because it's like humanity is this caterpillar. There's there's the little paws, that, you know, the little little feet at the front, and then there's the little feet at the back. You know what I mean? We, just, we don't. We're not going sideways with each other. We're going, you know, in this in this trail, right? So we do need a little more time. What do, do you agree with that, Gary? I agree that we need we need as much time as can be intelligently applied to. An array of problems dominated by the fact of the coronavirus. When we talk about, I just said something between shows here to Susanna that I was watching the news. 18 months, there's a projection that we're going to be living this way more no, or less. That's, for that's 18 months? No, that's not that's not real. And the other thing, you know, I mentioned in the show this morning on Manson Mitchell that uh uh, the uh, virus only lives on clothing for like nine hours and two hours in the sunshine will kill it. So I am wondering if, and this is a, this was mentioned early on, and it's a possibility that come summer and more heat, that it could, you know, be a, a, a really hard time for this virus. Uh, and I think we should know a lot more definitely by the end of next month. I mean, I really, I feel that we can move much more quickly than we have, and we continue to do that. And if we work in cooperation, I mean, like I said, South Korea wanted to be able to share their successes. They've done really well. Well, as a matter of fact, I have an item I would like to read from the article I referenced earlier and during our own show this morning, msn.com. And this is information from the World Health Organization. This is point two in this article because they're trying to be hopeful provide the silver lining. Exactly. Scientists, this article says, scientists have figured out how the novel coronavirus breaks into human cells, which will help significantly in developing treatments. After scientists revealed the first picture of how the novel coronavirus binds with human respiratory cells to produce more viruses, researchers in China have solidified images all the way down to the level of the atoms at the binding points, according to live science. With this news, understanding how the virus enters cells will significantly aid researchers in finding drugs and vaccines to fight the virus. Yahoo! Absolutely. And we should take, let's call it the Salk effect. Dr. Salk, who said, I'm not going to, to patent this, which he could have, for the polio vaccine, seen any cases of polio lately? You know, the polio vaccine, he said it needs to belong to the world. That's the attitude, isn't it? It's the right attitude, well, too. Well, um, Gary and I were having a, a much longer conversation the other day when we were talking about having this uh, just kind of upset the apple cart completely turn everything upside down. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, when you think about it, uh, there there was not only a time, but even in our time now, there are cultures that are much more cooperative. They, they do want to make sure that everybody is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Ours is competitive and it has been for a very, very long time, hence all the wars. And, and, and I said, you know, if you want to talk about a utopia, 
you know, if you think about the animal world or the ant world, everybody does what it is that they have a talent to do. Yes. But, but they don't get paid for that. They, everyone is taken care of, everybody gets fed, and everybody does what it is that their job is to do. I said, so, you know, what if the farmers grew all the food and gave it away, and whatever the farmers needed, somebody brought over to them and gave it to them? You know, what if it wasn't even so much bartering as living in a way where everybody gets what everybody needs, but it's there's not this hierarchy, this this royalty, this this top mm-hmm. down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pyramid. What if it really did get flattened? That would be interesting. That would be a system that would be very very different. And I'm not even talking about socialism. Uh, just as we don't need names. Right, you don't need names, and it doesn't have to be based on who has more of something. More gold, more clothes, bigger car, you know, bigger house, you know, whatever that is. But what if, what kind of life would that be if everybody just contributed what their talent was, but they weren't looking to get paid? They were, your needs were just met by somebody else who has another talent that you need. A, A very interesting, like playing with scenarios, like with what ifs, because Obviously, we've taken this to an extreme at this point, and this mm-hmm. this extreme is really what's in everybody's face: the income inequality, the one percent, the autocracy. Yep. You know, it it's it bu- bugging people so much. What would be the opposite of that? Just like what would be the opposite of war? What would be the opposite of building a culture which is based on stuff? Absolutely. You know, you're gonna love this. When I was a little girl. Many years ago, when I was a little girl, I, you know, I asked my mother for something. I don't remember what it was. And she said, I don't have any money for that. And I said, well, mommy, just go to the money store. See, we went to the shoe store for shoes and we went to the grocery store for groceries. You know, why don't we just go to the money store for money? It seemed perfectly logical to my mind and actually Lo these many years later, it's still logical, fits exactly with what you're saying. Well, you have a need, you just go to the place where the need can be met, or the 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 need is met for you. Do you know what I mean? No. Same, it's, you know what, in my little, what, how old was I then, like three years old? Well, just go to the money store. It's, it's Doesn't that seem logical? If you go to the shoe store for shoes, go to the money store for money. Well, you know, we see competition in the animal world. We see the, you know, the the the, the bison and the rams and the, the lions and tigers and everybody fighting for that supremacy, fighting for that survivorship. But there are there are other ways in which animals and birds and insects are extremely cooperative, and and so it seems like in a way. Um, you know, we've developed in this particular way. I, I don't know if it can be undone. It, it can be undone only in thinking about what the possibilities are. But I don't know if we can stop being at war and stop being competitive. I think we can. I truly believe we can. I, I, th- I think that it's not our nature. It goes against our nature because if it was our nature to be fighting all the time, it would feel good, and it doesn't feel good. 
It doesn't make our bodies feel better. We have so many diseases because of stress. And the stress is that that feeling of, of, of tension, of, of not feeling at peace. Our natural state is one of peace. And if we work towards being that, again, that's our, that's our base nature, is being peaceful. It's not being at war. And we've gotten so far from away from who we truly are as a species. Honest to God, humanity is one of the most amazing creations ever. I mean, we have this incredible potential. And uh, we move away from it because of our conditioning. You know, so many things that we think are natural are really conditioned responses. I've used this before. <laughs> Do you ever remember me? I don't know if you remember, Suzanne, me talking about my, my older daughter when she was a toddler, when she was in preschool. They had uh, little little toilets at preschool, and she was the only girl in the class. It was all little, her and little, these other children were little boys. And one of the teachers said to me one day, and she used to ride with her father in a pickup truck, and he drank beer, and he'd pull over. This was in Texas. Pull over on the side of the road and, you know, take care of his business that way. And she would get out with him and do the same. And I said, did you know that Heather stood up to urinate? And I said, yes, I did. No one ever told her she couldn't do that. So she did. Now, once she was in school with other little girls, she followed a societal's view and, and prescription for sitting rather than standing, but it's not a natural thing. It is a learned response, but we're so used to doing it. We think that that's the way nature intended. Do you understand what I, where I'm going with this? Yes, I do. Cause it's along the same lines that I was talking about earlier. Exactly. We think it's natural to be at war. Exactly. But it's not. It's not our natural state. And um, I, I, re I have so much faith and so much love for our fellow humans. And I know we can do this. Just like I know we can mobilize to build a hospital in a week. It's, it's, we can do this. We, we just can have to do it, yes. But we have the talent. We have the man and woman power to get this done. And kudos to the recently retired doctors and nurses who are jumping back into service at yep. the call of New York State and no doubt elsewhere, who see an unprecedented crisis and they are responding with their professionalism and their skill set. They're needed now more than ever in their lifetimes. Right. And I think that the like the, they've said that the healthcare workers and the educators, that they're going to help them financially, but not at a third of their normal rate. You can't do that. You have to give people who was it that said they should just give every family two thousand dollars a month? You know, yeah, that will, yeah. Well, it was a thousand a month for every household. Well, well, no, but this was since Yang. Oh, okay. no, you know, okay. since the because since Yang was, Yang actually was really good, you know, I mean, a, a lot, he, a lot of people really liked uh, Yang, and I think that he had a lot of good things to say. This is, see, this is the reason why I think coming together in a group is such a good thing, because Yang had this perspective, this one had that perspective, you know, there were different viewpoints that brought together as long as they were real and authentic, and I do think Yang was real and authentic. Still is. So too. Andrew yeah. Yang today is going, how you like me now? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we said Bush said that in his first <laughs> three years ago. 
Right. And that is a precedent coming from Bush 43. Yeah, remember getting your check for 300 bucks? No. Because I, I got my, it was to stimulate the economy. Yes, I do right. remember that. People got it, millions of people got a check for $300. Mine went straight to my auto mechanic to get my car back <laughs> on the road. But that's okay because that too moves the economy forward. Right, right. No, it's true. And you're absolutely right. So you take all this money. What would, I mean, it wouldn't be a big deal to give every family in the country two grand. Well, it's it's going to go to gas and groceries, as the saying goes. And yes, some form of that oh. is very necessary. I do not understand how Lindsey Graham, among a few, very few others, fortunately, but Lindsey Graham is now on record saying he's trying to talk President Trump out of sending that money directly to American citizens, wow. directly to American taxpayers. Why? I would like to know what is the harm that he envisions helping people with money when we're being told to stay at home except for essential trips. And if we don't have a job to go to, yeah. how are you going to cope? What's his big idea? Yeah, well, he has, no, no, he's one of those people. He doesn't have any ideas. He just into like, no, mm -mm, don't want to do it. Uh, so now is that who you want representing you? Think about it. People have to learn. What is it? What what do we call that? Uh, what kind of thinking is that? Uh, shoot, you know my mind. Um, when you're supposed well, to it, analyze things, what is that called? Anyway, uh, you look I don't at know, all. I analyze it, but I just I don't have much use for contrarians. It's one thing to vent, exactly. but when you get that out of the way, come up with some solutions, some ideas. Absolutely. Well, we've got uh, less than a minute now. And does, does Suzanne, you want one last word? Uh, my only last word is to uh, stay safe and don't take unnecessary trips. Don't take unnecessary risks. Uh, let's see what we can do as each person to flatten that curve. So we're looking at fewer deaths, not Absolutely. more deaths. And, and that means, you know, stay close to home. Uh, you know, love your folks and, and love everybody else by not going out and spreading the virus. Gary. Coming up next is a show about leisurely road travel. <laughs> Don't tell me about your problems. I have to host that. <laughs> He's only doing two and a half hours of shows today. <laughs> It's uh, always a pleasure well, to talk to you, Susan. Always Thank a pleasure to talk on. to you guys, too. And Suzanne and I are going to exchange recipes and <laughs> while you go on to the travel show. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. It's always a delight to, to have you on mine and for me to be on yours, and I appreciate it. Remember, folks, as you go through all of this, whether you're in the house by yourself or you're da down walking down the street, to keep on dancing. <laughs>